Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And of course, in the Kingdom of God, there are laws, and those laws exist just like the law of gravity and the law of thermodynamics and the law of astrophysics and the laws of uh, DNA and, and chemistry and all these other laws that we see evidence of and we try to categorize as science because we observe the patterns of these laws. And, you know, like uh, they've made up the theory of gravity and uh, or the theory of, uh, and we put it down in formulas like e equals mc squared and um, you know mass 1 times mass 2 squared uh, divided by the distance uh, gives you this theory of gravity and then of course they find exceptions to these theories as they begin to observe other things that seem to be influencing them from the quantum level and we talked this morning about miracles, that miracles aren't really miracles as we define the term miracles today, which are supposed to be things that happen outside of the law of nature. But actually, miracles are just things that happen within the law of nature, but in a more comprehensive definition of the law of nature. And of course, since we've been starting this series on law, specifically the law of nature, and then there's the law of man, we see that the law of nature is divine will, right reason, based on the right reason of God, the actual patterns of the universe, the actual patterns of the universe, not the patterns as we think of them or we want them to be, but the actual patterns that are built into creation itself, into this universe in which we live, how far out that universe may go. I mean, we're affected supposedly by gravity from distant stars so far away that their light takes eons to get here. And yet the gravity of them, although slight, will affect us. The planets are revolving and they actually calculate why and where the planet is going to be based on the mass of the planet as we speculate that mass to be. But we see as the planets pass through retrograde and, and keep going around that there are some objects out there in space that we do not see that are creating drag on the planets. And so we start looking for those other uh, celestial bodies that are creating the drag upon the planet and we find other bodies. You see, because... When Jupiter is in one place, it's going to create more drag on the planet's rotation than if it's in another place, or Mars, or Uranus, or, or or Saturn. They're all going to create this drag based on their mass. And there's a great deal of speculation, because we can't actually go out and put Jupiter on a scale, but we base it on these mathematical formulas that we calculate to be correct, and it's become, mathematics becomes a language of its own. And, uh, and occasionally we see phenomena. 
which is where things vary from what we imagine to be the actual accurate calculations based on the mathematical model. And we study the phenomena until we find out, oh, well, there's another factor that we did not consider. And then suddenly what seemed mysterious now becomes explained. But no matter what we uncover, we always uncover something, some other phenomena that we need to re-examine deeper and deeper. And there is, there is more undiscovered in the universe and in the laws of the universe than we have discovered. And so anyway, we can look the same thing when we read the Bible. We read the Bible and we say, well, that seems pretty clear, but then it has to be true in context of the rest of the Bible, or at least in the context, if the Bible is an inspired document by the God of creation, through his Holy Spirit, or through the quantum elements of the universe, the elements we cannot quite see, we see the evidence of, but we cannot quite put into our test tube and, and under our observation, but we see the evidence of it. So if the Bible is an inspired work, maybe all the translators are not inspired, but maybe, maybe, the even though the translators are not inspired, and they may have an intention not to good, not to what is right, that even their evil intent is somehow turned around in the process of time and translations and what have you, so that they still can manifest evidence of the truth, of the law, the the true law, not the made-up laws of men, but the actual laws of the universe that make it all work. And often what we think, well, this didn't calculate out is because there is some element we didn't calculate in. And then we go back to the drawing board and try to figure that out. And so anyway, now in translating the Bible and interpreting what we translate, we come to the idea that there's contradictions in the Bible. Well, are there contradictions in the Holy Spirit? Or is it contradictions in our perception of what we're reading? Because every sentence we read, we put values and definitions to every word. And in every word in the Bible almost, there's multiple definitions of. So, you can read one sentence and think it means this. And I can read the same sentence and think it means that. And that that conflict of interpretations comes from the fact that I may know things you don't know, or you may know things that I don't know, or we both may know things that isn't true, but think are true. So, there's all these factors. And and anybody who tells you that the Bible interprets itself, well, that's true, and that's a lie. Because the Bible doesn't actually interpret anything. The Bible is just a book with words written into it. And every word you read requires you to interpret the meaning of that word. And you interpret that meaning of that word based on what you already know. Or what you can look up in a dictionary. Or what you can Google (laughs) online. Or use DuckDuckGo. Or whatever you use for your search engine. You're interpreting the Bible every time you read it. It's not the Bible interpreting it. It's you. 
Now, are you alone in that ter- interpretation? Nobody's alone in their interpretation because we've all we've all listened to people and listened to teachers and read dictionaries and read books, and we have the meaning of words etched out in our minds. So, the, all those events of our life are with us when we read the Bible, and they are all assisting us in our private interpretation to the Bible. And we may be accurate. Uh, we may not be accurate. We may be more accurate today than we were yesterday or vice versa. So what does it all mean? What, what do we really know? Ultimately, it's you and you alone. And whatever spirits or friends or camaraderies that you conjure up in the universe in which you live, you're also alone with that. You actually create the environment in which you think. You create your own mind. You you don't do it alone. People are always trying to influence you. I don't really want to influence you, except if you have accepted a lie, I would love it if you set that lie, lie aside and seek the truth, the whole truth. And almost everybody has accepted some things that are lies. So, like I said, in the series about law, what law are we talking about? The law of nature, that's actually what is, that's actually what is true, that is actually the laws that that control the universe, whatever those are. Now, we can write them down and we can label them and we can categorize them, but they are what they are. And what they are is not dependent upon our opinion of them. The way in which we react to them may be dependent upon our opinion. But the laws are independent. Like I said, Sir Thomas More in his defense, before he was beheaded by the king, he said, if the world is round, decrees and commands of the king cannot make it flat. If the world is flat, the decrees of parliament cannot make it round. It is what it is. And that is the law of nature. The law of nature is what it is. There's lots of opinions as to what it is, but it is what it is. And if we want to take advantage or use the law of nature to our advantage, hopefully we want to use it to a good advantage. And if we are made in the image of God, we love our neighbor as ourselves because God loves our neighbor as ourselves. He even loves the whole world. He is willing to sacrifice his only begotten son that the whole world might be saved. That's the way it's described, and that is giving you a description of the character of Christ. And we are all sons of God. We are all children of God. Sons and daughters of God, if you want to keep the gender issue going. Mankind includes womankind. So when you say mankind, you include both man and woman. And... That mankind was made in the image of God. He hasn't necessarily stayed in that image. He's changed often by his own choice because in order to love, God had to give us choice. Because, you know, a puppet doesn't love anybody. If all we are is a puppet, we can't choose to love. Love requires choice. And, of course, love is sacrifice. And sacrifice by choice is essential for the manifestation of the power of love. So, if you're contributing to your society by force, 
because somebody is forcing you to contribute to the welfare of your society. That's not love. That taints love. That infringes upon the choice of love, which is the choice of sacrifice. And you will not get the same benefit. You will get a different result. Which is why over and over again in the Bible it warns us against having an appetite for the dainties of rulers. And sitting down and consenting with people that are seeking gain at the expense of others. Lurking privately for blood of the innocent. Because to obtain a benefit, to take a bite out of one another, will bring us to the point where we ourselves are devoured. Because if we judge that it is right to take away that choice that God bestowed upon every man, endowed every man with, if we want to take away the choice of our neighbor to choose to do good or to do evil, if we want to take away his choice, we will lose our choice. And that is the definition of bondage. That is the definition of servitude. You no longer have a choice. So if you find yourself in bondage today, it is the result of the choices you have made and the choices your parents have made and your grandparents have made and their parents have made. Because besides being endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights, you inherit those rights from the generation before. You don't just automatically happen because you just didn't automatically become you. You are a product of the previous generation that have passed down their rights to you. And this is, this morning we talked and we mentioned the Septuagint. And when we showed that the, there was a difference in the three versions of the Torah, which is, would be the three versions of the law, if the Torah means law. And of course we said that the word Torah is not the only word that could be translated law. But one of the versions of the Torah is the Septuagint. And it differs from the Torah that we get from the Masoretic text, which is the the text that we find in the modern Christian Bible, in the Protestant Bible, in the Catholic Bible, for that fact. But this uh, there's a departure. You know, the King James Version of the Old Testament is translated from the the Ben Shaim Masoretic text. And, uh, you know, it's a Hebrew scripture that came about and is somewhat authentic. Is it 100% accurate? It's not that old. We just don't have that many old. Now that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls and a few other scraps and stuff that are older than the Masoretic text, we can compare and we say, well, they're pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. 100% accurate? I couldn't say. I wouldn't want to say. I know this, that the Holy Spirit is 100% accurate. That God and the law of nature is 100% accurate. Because that by the nature of the law of nature, it is 100% accurate. I mean, that is what we're saying. Is that the whatever God is, God is the existing one. That is what actually exists. Now, there are many images of God that are created, you know, out of stone, out of wood, out of our own imagination. That's not 100% accurate. That's where denominationalism comes from. Everybody creates an image of Jesus Christ. Everybody creates an image of God. And they worship that image. 
whether it's in their head or in a statue or whatever, that is what they're often worshipping. You don't want to do that. You want to actually, whatever worship means, that's another word we can look at. You can look that up at Preparing You. Worship doesn't always mean what people think it means, but we're using the words that you have, and we can't go into every single word every single time, which is why we have over a thousand recordings that you can go and play. Uh, you can get them on Spotify. You can get them on podcasts and play them over and over again. Uh, you don't have to play them over and over again because there's so many. We could keep you busy for at least a thousand hours or more, probably way more because some of the shows are two hours long. But uh, some of the translations that you have, the NIV and the ESV, they call them, and I don't usually use those. Occasionally I will refer to them, but just generally speaking, I use the King James Version, not because I'm a King James only guy. If you want to be that way, go ahead. But that's a version. It's not even actually accurately a translation. It, it's a version. And the Old Testament part of it is dependent upon this Masoretic text, which I do not trust all the guys who put together the Masoretic text. I'm not saying it's inaccurate. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying throw it out, use it. Jesus quoted the Septuagint. The Septuagint is different than the Masoretic text. And yet, Jesus is clearly quoting it. And we talked about this this morning, gave you dozens of examples where he was quoting it. But in the translation of the NIV and the ESV, they depart from the Hebrew Scriptures in places like Genesis 47, 21, Genesis 49, 10, Judges 14, 15. And, you know, this is a recording, so when you hear these verses like Judges 16, 13 through 14, or 1 Samuel 1, 24, you can go look them up. And hopefully we'll eventually put together evidence in pages that will show where these differences are so that you can do some figuring on your own. Ultimately, what we want to do is lead you to the Holy Spirit so that you're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit and and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because when you sit down to read the Bible, you want the Holy Spirit to be with you. And let it be known, the Holy Spirit is not an emotional spirit. The Holy Spirit is that still, small voice, according to what we read in the Bible. That it is a comforter. It is a guide. It is a light. It is not emotion. If your eyes are rolling back in your head, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. And so, anyway, but there are other verses, like I say, 2 Samuel 7, 16, 2 Samuel 15, verses 7, 2 Samuel 24, 13. I can't remember all these, but I, I mean, I, I read them just recently, so I have some of them in my head. But they are departures in those texts. So if you're not using the King James Bible and you find certain things missing, well, they used a different ancient text to translate from. So anyway, we mentioned that. We went through a lot. And eventually we'll go through a lot of these different uh, places where the Septuagint uh, is quoted in the New Testament. But I mentioned specifically Matthew 1, verse 23, and Isaiah 7, 14. And it has to do with the birth of Christ. And so I thought, I've been planning to do this for some time of going through uh, Matthew. Uh, because I've I've gone through a lot of the small or minor prophets. And uh, we should go through some of the major prophets. This all takes a lot of work and time. And I've had some setbacks. And, and uh, 
even health issues that make this difficult. But uh, we've done enough so you get the basics of what the gospel was talking about from the beginning to the end, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because both the Old Testament and the New Testament are the two witnesses. They are in agreement. Moses and Jesus Christ and Elijah were in agreement. They're not in disagreement. They're in agreement. And so they're talking about the same thing. And we show this over and over again. All those minor prophets were talking about the same thing that Christ was. We need to understand what that is if we're going to understand the gospel. Because the two witnesses are already there. They're already in existence. But we've had denominational religion making us think that the Old Testament was done away with based on their interpretation of the Masoretic text. And the gospel is like God changed his mind and is going to do things different. What was done away with is the false interpretation of the Old Testament. And there's enough in the Masoretic text. You can actually go look at the Samaritan Bible. It's in there, although you, you may have to look at the original languages. And that's a little bit different Hebrew. And so... You know, I have looked at it, I have examined it, but there's quite a bit of difference between the Samaritan text, the Septuagint, and, and the Masoretic text. And, and the Masoretic text is not the only Hebrew text out there. Like I said, uh, we've got the Dead Sea Scrolls talks, you know, has some of the Old Testament in it. But you have to then look at the Hebrew, and then most of the time you're looking at translations, and, Translations have much to be desired. And, and, and I take my hat off to those who translated it. Because whenever you're going from one language to the next, there's going to be difficulties because of the nuances in words. And especially with Hebrew text, and we've gone over this many times, and you, if you go back and listen to all our old recordings, if, if I'm out of action for a little while and not able to do these programs every day, we have recorded hundreds and hundreds of these recordings. Many people have uh, downloaded the recordings and put them on their own computers. I recommend that. Download the pages. We're tr- going to try to get it so that all the pages that we've been putting together for decades now are actually downloadable into PDF formats. And you can download them, you can print them out, and make copies. Because, like I said, the Internet can go away in a t- twinkling of an eye. Ultimately, what you want to do is what the early church did that survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. You want to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start creating the social bonds of a free society. Because right now, the social bonds you have is those of an enslaved society. And the whole world is back in the captivity of Egypt and back in the bondage of Egypt where they don't own their labor, they don't own their home, they don't own their car, and... They don't know why. And some people want to deny why. We talked about that this morning. But sometimes it's they lack knowledge. Well, we have that knowledge. We can give you that knowledge. But what I can't give you is the Holy Spirit. You have to open up your own heart to the door of Christ and allow the keys of the kingdom to unlock that door and open that door and let in that Holy Spirit to guide you in the days to come. You will need that guidance. Because the old normal brought you to the point where you're at today. 
You don't want the old normal. You want the righteousness of God. So, if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, or simply Matthew, a lot of people just refer to it as Matthew, is one of the four canonical Gospels that we generally look at. There are other Gospels out there, but they're not considered to be canonical Gospels. And we can look at that word separately, but the reality is there are other Gospels out there. They weren't put in the Bible. Only so many could be put in the Bible. Uh, otherwise, the Bible gets too big. And so these are the four Gospels that they put in. And the first one we see is the, is Matthew. And uh, it's, which is one of what they call the Synoptic Gospels. There's three Synoptic Gospels. And the first book of the New Testament. Uh, the narrative tells how the Messiah, Jesus, rejected by Israel, finally uh, sends his disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. And when they talk about preaching the whole world, what word do they mean by the whole world? Well, that whole world was not the whole planet. Now, of course, they do want the gospel to go to the whole planet, but the actual directive was saying to the constitutional order and system of government of man. But we're also supposed to preach this gospel to every creature. And so the good news is this way of Christ. And, of course, that's what Christianity was called, the way. And so when they say to every creature, that means that we have to do it to every sparrow, every mouse, every uh, sage rat, every rattlesnake. Well, I suppose we could. We could become kind of a Francis of Assisi kind of preacher and go out and preach these things. And and there is a metaphysical reality to that. But basically the same word that they translate creature is also the word for institution. Well, you have all kinds of institutions. You have a business, maybe. Maybe you own your own business. Uh, the family is an institution. So, th- that would be another thing. Your, your governments, your, you have county governments, you have, uh, uh, state governments, you have, uh, you know, if you're in Switzerland, you would have cantons, and, uh, as well as the whole Swiss government. So there's lots of, these are all institutions. You have insurance companies. That's an institution. You know, like, is insurance bad? If if you got together with 50 other people and you say, well, we're going to create an insurance uh, policy for health insurance to help us in case of, uh, you know, sickness or injury. You could actually do that. And you could do it in a way that was more like the gospel of the kingdom. Or you could do it more like the Gospel of Nimrod. Because <laughs> you know? uh, they had institutions too. But their institutions, the institution of Nimrod, the institutions of Cain, the institutions of Sodom and Gomorrah, were different kinds of institutions. They didn't have the spirit of Christ in them. They had the spirit of force and the spirit of control. And at different times in their own history, those spirits of force and control were greater or lesser. But, you know, the spirit of Rome. I mean, should we be like Rome? Well, Rome at what time? 500 B.C.? 600 B.C.? 700 B.C.? Rome was around in 700 B.C. It was a kingdom. The Tarquinian kings were in charge. And they were a dictatorship. And they oppressed the people. 
But then they threw out the Tarquinian kings and they created a republic in which all the social welfare was taken care of by free will donations through a system of hearths and, uh, you know, equestrian groups where the hearths gathered in so many hearths. And so there was a network of 10 families or 12 families and then, and then they gathered in a larger network and then that network gathered in a larger network. And they took care of the social welfare of their society. They also took care of the military militia of their society through the same network. The bonds of that military society were created in the day-to-day life. You know, if there was a criminal or a robber or a thief. Or if there was an injury or if there was a fire. They all came together to fight the fire. And some men risked their lives to save their neighbors and created bonds of society, of a free society, because they willingly risked their life. Today we have police that risk their lives every day. And some people appreciate the police. Some people hate the police. Well, the police are mercenaries. They're paid to do it. Now, they may be good cops. They may be bad cops. But they're all paid cops. You know, we have a fire department out here where we live out here in the desert. At Rangeland Fire, they're not paid. They're all volunteer. They put out almost a 100 fires already this year, and they're not done yet. And uh, they're not paid. They don't have a wage. And uh, But they show up, and they're creating the bonds. Can we do the same with health care? Can we do the same with the old age and the infirm? Can we do the same with education? Because there's public schools out here, and there's private schools out here and there's a lot of homeschoolers that was one of the statistics that came out recently this week that homeschoolers have more than doubled throughout the nation because of covid great uh i think the more we do that the better so anyway but these are things that are changing but by the same token the death rate has risen since covid unrelated deaths to covid that more people, 16%, 20%, more people are dying at young ages now than they were two and a half years ago. And it's not clear why yet. Not evidentially. We have our suspicions. But all these things are unveiling themselves as we go. But let's get back to the Gospel of Matthew. The whole world teaching the institutions the way of Christ. Insurance, there's the Samaritan insurance where everybody pays in. They're all members, but they get to decide where their money goes. So that if you have a claim, you can put in a claim and people can decide, I want to pay my premium to that individual to help pay his medical bills off. And, of course, there's a lot of counseling floating around in the Samaritan Project because most of the medical bills are, uh, there's a whole gamut. We have pages at Preparing You that tell you about how to negotiate your medical bills because your insurance companies are not paying what you see as a bill. They have made a deal with the with the hospitals that they pay a fraction of what you see. You're going to buy insurance because you don't want to have to owe that much money. But the insurance company doesn't owe that much money. They pay less. They don't let you know. Like testing. Uh, there is a schedule for the cost of testing. They won't tell you. They may tell their, you know, uh, medical 
uh, doctors. They may tell the insurance companies, but they won't tell you. My daughter stumbled upon this and because they accidentally told her. <laughs> and then they were told that they're not supposed to give that out to the public. It's a scam to make lots of money off of you. If you came together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you could get around those scams. And if you were together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you you would be your own insurance company, much like the Samaritan. There wouldn't be a premium. There would be faith, hope, and charity, where you could take one care of one another in a much more economical fashion. But... Uh, we can talk and have talked about that in other places so you can understand it. But there's a reason why Christ said to get together, to gather together, and commanded his disciples to make the people gather together. And the people that Matthew was writing already were doing this. They were doing it because it was common knowledge for thousands of years. That's the way free societies organized themselves. Teutons did it. The Jutes did it. The Jews did it. The Romans did it. They got away from that when they centralized social welfare into the hands of a king. But that's straying from the formula. So anyway, many scholars believe that the Gospel of Matthew was composed between about 80 and 90 CE. There are others who imagine a a broader range of possibilities as early as 70 CE to as late as 110 CE. So they don't even know exactly when it was written. Uh, Few suspect an earlier date, but sources like the Gospel of Mark, or what we call the Q Gospels, which is the Gospel of Mark, the Q sources are, this has nothing to do with Q and not. This has to do with... The what we believe to be Gospels that were written before, and, and a lot of this is based on fragments that we find that there were a lot of things written that were being circulated around amongst Christians, and these were the sources of the Gospel of Mark and, and the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Mark supposedly predated, and the Q Gospels so uh, uh, clearly by the nature of whatever the Q Gospels were uh, predated even the Gospel of Mark. They also had a thing called Special Matthew or the M sources that Mark had sources other than the Q Gospels, which was supposedly the source of Mark. And it's difficult to say. We know there was a lot of stuff in circulation. And so we just clap these these titles on M source or Q sources. We don't have them. We, like I say, we may have fragments of them, but then you're piecing together a jigsaw puzzle that doesn't even have all the puzzles, uh, all the puzzle pieces. So this Matthew was not the Matthew uh, of the gospel mentioned uh, for the first time in Matthew 9, but remains somewhat anonymous. Uh, he is believed to have been a male, Jew, the the actual Matthew who wrote this, uh, with some non-traditional Jewish values. His his Greek was somewhat polished. It was Semitic. You know that you have the words like synagogue, which is like a Greek word, but has some, you know, Aramaic uh, originality to it. I mean, it came from uh, words before. And we've talked about that in other places in greater detail, looking at the actual letters. 
When we look at Hebrew, we, we try to look at the individual letters because so many words in the Hebrew, they're usually based three letters, words, but they add letters, they mix up letters, they put letters in the middle, they put letters at the beginning, put letters at the end, and there's a reason for that, and people have been trying to calculate the reason. Some say it's just syntax, but it clearly is not just syntax. It has to do with the meaning and the in those meaning is the nuances, and they are very difficult to translate over into English. And one of the reasons why is because almost every word in the Hebrew has a objective meaning and a and a more I don't want to say subjective, but more ethereal meaning, a more abstract meaning. And so you'll have a word like honor that is also the same word as liver. And we can do the same thing with the reins of a horse is also uh, has to do with the authority or control of a, of, of a thing. It may not be a horse. It may be the control of a sacrifice. And so we've gone through that in lots of uh, previous recordings. And it's important to know you don't have to know every single thing. You don't have to learn Hebrew. But once you understand that the, the words are symbols of ideas and translated words, sometimes the symbol gets distorted. And then your previous education will also distort those words because you'll have the idea that gospel means this or gender means that or uh, uh, genealogy means this and honor means that. And, and they may not always mean that in the context. And... Uh, it, even if you knew Hebrew perfectly and you knew the meaning of every single letter, you would still need the Holy Spirit to actually interpret, properly interpret. If you might be accurate in your interpretation, even without the Holy Spirit, but not consistently. Not always. You're not that kind of God. You know, Jesus said, you also are gods, but not that kind of God. Uh, the word God there, theos, means ruling judges. You are ruling judge. But you're not supposed to be ruling over your brother. And today, in this day and age, the, all the systems of government that are set out there in the world, all the institutions of men, all the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government are based on the idea that 51% of the people or the proletariat or, or the ruling class gets to rule over the other people. And that Dominion over man you were not given. If you have dominion over others, other than your children, <laughs> uh, you have strayed from the formula. So the Gospel of Manu, uh, Matthew emphasizes Jesus' teachings as uh, much as his acts to express his divine nature. In other words, what he does is telling you as much about Jesus as what he says. But emphasizing Jesus' teachings is really important because you're not the church unless your doctrines are the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Uh, what Mark, uh, the young man who appears of uh, Jesus' tomb, for example, becomes an angel with a countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow in Matthew 28.5. So, you know, when you read in in one version, it says young man. The other version, it says angel with garments as white as snow and, and, and like lightning. 
So what are we talking about? Did somebody see something different or are they just being more descriptive or what is it? Uh, you can say, well, they're talking about an angel and they're just talking about a young man. So which is it? Well, th- these aren't discrepancies. It's just uh, what they felt like writing. One of the things that we should remember always is that Matthew is writing to Jews. He's writing to, when he's writing the gospel, he's writing to Jews who already have a history of the Torah and the Hebrew language and they've looked at the Septuagint and he quotes the Septuagint many, many times in his writing, clearly using the same exact Greek words, sometimes the same exact spelling of those Greek words. And so he is clearly quoting the Septuagint. And has a knowledge of the Septuagint. And so do the people who he's writing. Although they, some of them are more orthodox than others. So he's going to describe things slightly different. And we'll, sometimes we'll point that out to help you understand why his description may be a little bit different than Mark's or uh, Luke's. Uh, John is written very much differently. Uh, and we'll get into that when we do John. Uh, the divine nature of Jesus was a major issue uh, of the communities at that time because this was this is a major conflict and some of this was resolved at least in the minds of those who followed after the Constantinian Church because the Constantinian Church really brought that conflicting views of the divinity of Christ to a head and said you got to believe it this way or we will cast you out. And, of course, that's the Constantinian church, which is not the church established by Jesus Christ. That's the church established by Constantine. Now, many of the things that the Constantinian church did were like Christ. They taught a lot about Christ. But there was a serious difference between the Constantinian church and the early church. And, of course, the early church, we have to assume, is closer to the way of Jesus Christ than you know, churches that began 300 years later. And so it is important to see that. And in our articles and recordings on Constantine in the Constantinian church, we spell that out. And that's the thing. At Preparing You, we have all these different uh, recordings and these different articles. And in most of these articles, we will have links to other articles. So, you know, people say, well, where should we start? Well, start where the Holy Spirit leads you because that's ultimately where we where we want you to go is the Holy Spirit will lead you in it. And they may say, start with Matthew, or they may say, start with Hosea. Or they may start, you know, with the books that I've written. Which one do you read first? Uh, the Covenants of the Gods, or Thy Kingdom Comes, or The Higher Liberty, or Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. You start with whatever you feel right about starting with. And you read it till you want to read something else and you are led to. And then you start determining whether the Holy Spirit is guiding you or not. And it's it's your journey. Between and the the one that needs to walk with you in that journey is the Holy Spirit. I can't walk with you in that journey. Uh, I cast out. This is my bread. Everything that I've studied, everything that I've written, everything that I've recorded, we put it out there for free. Uh, we don't charge you for admission. We know that it's 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 priceless. It is ex. Is It is as expensive as hell, I use that word specifically, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because that's what it's going to cost you. 
the rewards of unrighteousness, the, the rewards of hell. And you don't want the rewards of hell. <laughs> you don't want the rewards of the unrighteous mammon. You want the, uh, the reward of life, of the tree of life. And so, yes, it's expensive enough to seek the truth because you're going to have to set down the lies that you've already accepted and believed were true and probably preached to other people that just aren't so, that aren't true. You'll have to let them go. So the biblical texts we read today are established by collating major surviving manuscripts and citations of the early church writers in order to produce versions, you know, the King James Version. Because the translators, you know, a team of Septuagint is called the 70 because 70 government-paid scholars translated it. So the King James Bible, Bible was also translated by government-paid scholars who were told to translate it. And they themselves write that this is the best we could do under the circumstances. What were the circumstances? Well, the previous kings cut out the tongues and burned guys at the stake because they didn't like their translation. So now we're supposed to translate it. You know, so are we going to tell you that the dainties of the king are deceitful meats? Are we going to tell you that? Well, it's actually in there. <laughs> Proverbs, they tell you that if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. That's their translation. Now, how many of your modern preachers warned you about eating the dainties of rulers? Rulers like FDR, LBJ, Obama, Biden, going to forgive all the student loans. Well, he didn't. And those that he first said he was going to forgive, he's now retracted. He's got the press because they didn't tell you how much he retracted. But he got the press. Oh, great. He's forgiving those loans. No, he's putting them on your neighbor. He's passing them on to your neighbor. You're so in debt now, you'll never pay it off. You and your children and your children's children will never pay it off. Because you've gone on the road to Rome. One of the things about the law, one of the quotes that uh, we will be going over from time to time is, you know, I've said the law of nature is the will of God. It is right reason. It is divine reason. It is divine will. These are all phrases they use to describe the law of nature or the natural law. But there is another law, the system of man, the handwritten ordinances, the decrees of parliament and kings and presidents. And that Roman law, Roman civil law, and the civil law, it's actually phrased differently. Civil law is normally first. And Roman law and Roman civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. They are systems of jurisprudence. They are not natural law. They are created within the power of natural law. If you don't understand natural law, you will not find your way away from them. Those systems of jurisprudence return the man, men to the bondage of Egypt. Not by themselves. You need other things. You need the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of men who exercise authority. Plutarch told you that 
Polybius told you that. And they were heathens, and they knew that the greatest destroyers of liberty are those who grant amongst you gifts, gratuities, and benefits, which includes public school, which includes take care of my parents so that I don't have to do no more ought for my parents, Corbin of the Pharisees. So, if you know these things and then go back and read Matthew, you may get a different view of it. The Greek-speaking Jewish Christian community to which Matthew belonged was part of the larger Jewish community that did not see Jesus as a Messiah, much less divine. The authors of his version of the assembly or congregations of the church included both Jew and Gentile together. This was what Matthew was writing in this. And so there were people that the the social welfare system set up by Jews run through the temple of Herod uh, and the Pharisees who had control of that temple pretty much. I mean, there were Sadducees around and Zealots around and Essenes around. But the temple itself was pretty much controlled by the Pharisees until Jesus Christ was declared the highest son of David. And when that happened, the eventually the early Christian ministers were working also daily in the temple. But they also knew that they did not want to create a central treasury like Herod did whether you call it the Gastaphone or the Corbin, because both words are translated into treasury, because they're actually two different treasuries in the same building often, or at least in annexes of the same building. Jesus warned against those central treasuries because they, thieves and robbers could break in and steal it. Or moths could eat it up, you know, uh, and you see that. That's why, you know, the American citizen, the U.S. citizen... And the Australian citizen and the New Zealander citizen and the Canadian citizen are trillions and quadrillions of dollars in debt. And their children are born in debt. Because thieves and robbers have stolen into your treasury and eaten up. There's no more gold in Fort Knox that belongs to the United States citizen. The United States citizens no longer have that as a surety for the debt of their notes. It used to be redeemable and lawful money. They are now the surety for the debt. Their labor is surety for debt. And the income tax you pay buys no services for your neighbor. It only pays the interest on your debt. Because you're all back in the bondage of Egypt. You've all returned to the captivity that Christ came to set you free from. And you've come to that point because you have rejected the way of Christ. Of course, For many of you, it's simply because you have not been taught the way of Christ. Because a strong delusion has taken the place of the gospel of Christ. So we're going to be looking at Matthew. And we're going to be going through it verse by verse. (laughs) And see if we cannot find out what is in the gospel of Matthew and how it relates to the prophets of the Old Testament, because the prophets of the Old Testament and the Old Testament itself is your first witness. And the New Testament is your second witness. And there's another aspect to that, going back to the Hebrew, where there's an objective, clear definition of a word, like the word for reigns 
actually means reins, like a horse's reins of control. But it also means the control of an object, where you now have authority over some object that was given, you were given the reins of control. Or the liver is actually, can, the same word for liver can actually mean to honor, which actually means to fatten. It doesn't mean to obey, it means to fatten your parents, to take care of your parents, provide for your parents. So that your days will be long upon the land. So, by the same token, the two witnesses, and we're running out of time, so I wanted to get this in before we actually start Matthew, and we won't get very far into Matthew, we'll start it again in another subsequent show. But, uh, and these shows may not go on forever, ever. So that's why I tell you, go to preparingyou.com, look up under audio, and you can go back to 2010, uh, 2013, 2014, and many of the articles that we've put in the audios and recordings of, and download them onto your computer, download them onto your phone, uh, down, download them on your tablet, listen to them. You can get a lot of them, like I say, in Spotify. I don't know if, if you find other podcast people that have better, that you like better than go, go to them. A lot of them have them. The more you use them, the more you share them with other people, the more we will go up and search and the easier it will be to create that network of tens, hundreds, and thousands that you are going to need during the decline and fall of the New World Order. Because just as the Great Reset is taking place, it is its death is already in motion. It knows it has a short time. But its ultimate goal of the the Great Reset is to end the dominion of man on earth. Because that was the first commandment of God, to dress it and keep it. And we are losing it rapidly. And so we need to turn around and do what Christ actually said. So, in this book of generations, but anyway, I was going to finish that idea of the two witnesses. The two witnesses are also your heart and and your mind. Now, your heart is the pump in your body that pumps the blood to your fingertips and to your toe tips so that you can walk places and you can pick up things and you can do things. And your mind is also translated as soul in the Bible. The same word for mind is also translated soul. That is your receptor of either the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit. And it will guide what you do with your heart. So what really the two witnesses are in spirit and in truth, in, in, in the soul and in your body, in your words and your deeds. This is the two witnesses. You, you cannot just say, Lord, Lord. Jesus is very specific about this. You cannot just say, Lord, Lord. You must also do it the will of the Father. And if Christ told his disciples, make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, require that they do that. Somebody said that, of course, this is in Mark, Mark 6. He commanded that they make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And somebody said, well, that was just for the distribution of food. You know, because that was the loaves and fishes scene. But we see in the New Testament, in Acts, that they're working daily in the 
temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. We see right away in Acts, there's a dearth, a famine, where there's a shortage of food in, in Greece and in, a, in, in Syria. And they're going to have to send people like Paul and Barnabas to help them get the food they need. They need to be in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in order to do that. And you're going to need that. Because there's coming a shortage of food. Now, I I generally do not preach a gospel of fear. I'm just, this is a gospel of practicality. If you do this out of fear, you will not persevere into the end. You must do this out of love for others. You must gather together for the purpose of laying down your life for your fellow man. Instead of as you've been gathering before in the governments of men and the institution of men that you gather to get the benefits, get your student loans paid off, get your, you know, get your welfare, get your Medicare, make Medicaid, get your free public school, all these free benefits. The dainties of rulers who only give you what they take away from your neighbor. That is the antithesis of Christ. Turning around, repenting is realizing that's a mistake. And doing it the way that Christ said it, through faith, hope, and charity, is the way. And that is what Matthew is going to be talking to you about. But he goes through a lot of other things. <laughs> he starts with the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Of course, he wasn't actually the son of Abraham, but he was a descendant of Abraham. So that's what that word son actually means. Abraham begot Isaac. But there's even more to it than that because it didn't just start with Abraham. It started, well, with Melchizedek. And before that, eventually it started with Adam. So, anyway, what we want you to see is the way of God, the way of righteousness, the way of Christ. And we want you to start to walk that way. And you, if, in walking that way, you must care about others as much as you care about yourself. Uh, as you see, we're running out of time. So until we meet again, which hopefully is soon on the network, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.